p.m. Stay tuned for a stone's throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw on the 27th of November, 2012. (laughs) Thank God turkey time is over and done with. Hell's bells. Oh, here comes jingle bells. Next time, jingle bells. Bloody hell, I just wish I didn't have to hear... These mass media pundits calling out the sales figures. We're going to hear these cash registers ringing. Actually, can't hear cash registers anymore. Actually, that would be more fun. I turn on the uh, radio and all we hear is about, uh, let's see, how many purchases were made on Black Friday, 280 million. Apparently, uh... Let's see, uh, a few more than last year. I think 15 million more purchases than uh, on the same day last year. Now, (laughs) yes, who is the philosopher who said men don't think, they measure? Ah, these days it's all about, what do you call that, uh, homo economists, how man can express himself by spending his money. Uh, all about how we send a message uh, to the market, men, market, women. You want a lesson in surrealism. Uh, try getting stoned and watching the shopping channel. Uh, take the top of your head off uh, last weekend. Apparently, the billions spent were not quite adequate. You know, it isn't quite enough blood into the body politic if money is the blood of uh, the, what do you call it, uh, the nation. I guess, um, what is it? It wasn't enough, they say, to to um, feed the golden calf. Now, do we feed the golden calf? Uh, or do we worship it? Uh, you know, Moloch, Moloch, the great god Moloch, uh, the god of materialism. I want to starve the SOB. I want to go for art. I want to be aesthetic. <laughs> Actually, I do find that now that I am uh, completely, completely decadent and I watch cable television, I can watch plays without commercials. And I just wallow in the stuff. Uh, 
I pretend that films aren't product. I saw a fascinating picture. Uh, I saw it actually uh, a few months ago, but the first time around I couldn't quite, couldn't quite swallow it. You know how that is. Uh, uh, some books and films are to be tasted, some swallowed, and then some few to be chewed and digested. A Dangerous Method, right, is the name of this one. It's a recent film uh, all about Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud and their very remarkable patient. This was early in the game. Uh, now, it's a fascinating picture. It will be ignored, I think, but uh, it might get a little attention because the patient they deal with is played by... Uh, uh, Karen Knightley, and she at the moment is very much in the news because she's starring in Anna Karenina, Tolstoy's old um, classic. Now, uh, she plays a very famous patient. There are lots of books books about it. Uh, this young woman, she has a, I guess you'd call it S&M affair, uh, uh, more, what, more masochism than sadism. Uh, Carl Jung is married, but um, this young woman who has a father fixation is uh, mad as a hatter, a real screwball. Um, it's a fascinating movie. The opening scenes were a little too much for me. Uh, but I, I looked at it and I thought, well, now this is Kira Knightley's magnum opus uh, in the picture, uh, message, I guess, is uh, she turns out to be in many ways more liberated than either Carl Jung or Sigmund Freud. Uh, she certainly educated her doctors as well as herself. Uh, talk about breakthroughs. But uh, some of the problems she created uh, uh, increased the well, the, the friction, the misunderstandings, well, let's call it uh, the, um, the, the intellectual uh, breakdown of the relationship between Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud. I think mostly different temperaments. Uh, this patient was a Jew. Sigmund Freud, of course, tries to remind her that Carl Jung is not a member of their tribe. Um, She's based on this character, uh, so famous now, uh, the woman who returned to her home in Moscow. She's a Russian Jew. She practiced psychiatry for many years, uh, obviously with more, um, what I would call, more common sense. Uh, she was married. Um, she died together with two of her daughters, in the Holocaust in 1941, I believe she was shot, the three of them. Um, now, especially interesting in this movie is Carl Jung's uh, relationships with women. He has a wealthy wife, Emma. She gives him everything when the question of um, his relations with other women comes up. She says she would rather not know about it uh, she gives him lovely children. He says that she provides him with a home, with the everything that is uh, 
everything that is refined and lovely and all that good stuff. Um, later in life, um, there's mention of uh, a mistress, I think, Jenny. What was, I'm not, that's not sure her name was. Uh, anyway, he says that his mistress provides him with the perfume in life. Carl Jung lived in Switzerland uh, in a scene that is so idyllic. Uh, Lake Geneva, is it? Um, beautiful boat ship, uh, sailboat that Emma gets him. I loved Emma's little little dogs. I, <laughs> I used to write sketches about Carl Jung, how in his dreams and in his reveries, he talked to Emily Bronte and got all his notions about the Chthonic gods, the ancient earth gods. He was a dreamer, let's face it. Uh, what is interesting, of course, that is that it's Carl Jung who suffered a debilitating depression. Uh, Sigmund Freud managed to limp his way through the 1940s. Uh, Carl Jung was shattered by World War II. He saw it coming. Anyway, I guess uh, the existential enigma of uh, thoughtful intellectuals, uh, it's the stuff of my movies. Uh, I don't know what we can do for those people who uh, who have everything and still suffer. Uh, Freud is another story. Um, <laughs> he was, of course the big daddy in psychiatry. I always like to say that Freud got it wrong, but he got it. He certainly didn't allow himself any of Carl Jung's indulgences or fairy tales. He kept trying to tell Carl Jung that the scientific community would not take them seriously if Carl kept all this, kept up with all this new age nonsense. You know, uh, Jung seemed to believe in well, let's call it magic. Uh, I think that so many paths lead to wisdom. I guess it kind of depends on who follows them. If a genius is present, probably, well, it doesn't really maybe matter what method he uses. Uh, what I liked was some of the economic details. Freud couldn't afford Jung's indulgences. He had to be taken seriously. Uh, I like one little bit. The uh, script is careful to point out that when Freud and um, Jung come to visit America, uh, Carl Jung's wife took care of all the arrangements on the ship. And, of course, uh, she gives uh, her husband the best accommodations first class and Freud uh, can't afford that uh, when they get on the ship there's a moment when they realize they will be on uh, on different levels on the ship uh, that's the stuff that tells me what I need to know uh, the movie is called A Dangerous Method I think it is a dangerous film it will probably be ignored I put it on the shelf with that Terrific film about Kinsey, uh, another one that was problematic, but definitely, definitely worth a look-see. Uh, as I said, uh, Kira Knightley is getting a lot of attention because of Anna Karenina. That uh, is a film that is also getting a revisionist spin. Tom Stoppard, 
wrote the script and uh uh there's a lot of stuff about Vronsky, the lover that is perhaps not what Tolstoy had in mind, although Tom Stoppard seems to think so. What's interesting is that Jude Law, a very, very gorgeous, romantic leading man, plays the husband, the wicked husband of Anna Karenina, not the lover. Go figure. Uh, Apparently... Our sophistication, our psychological sophistication, is increasing. Uh, Some of the old scripts are just too uncomfortable. Uh, I think Ibsen still works, but certainly the playwrights are breaking the mold. They're asking not just what do women want, you know, but... Why do they want it? And, uh, you know, uh, same goes for men. Uh, study Vronsky's suicide. Remember, he tried to shoot himself. Uh, and ask yourself what this tells us uh, about men and sex and all that good stuff. The stuff that we make our movies and plays uh, about. I'm not sure whether we're getting wiser, we're certainly getting more interesting. Uh, Speaking of magic, the most intriguing thing I saw on television last week was a spot on the Science Channel. I think it was Smithsonian, no, Science Channel. Oh, God, cable television. What a trip. It was all about human evolution, all about, let's call them mermaids. I don't like to use that word because then, once again, people think, oh, fairy tales, magic. Let's call them mermen. Is it true, ask yourself, is it true that we, homo sapiens, uh, well, primates, let's say, primates, that at some point in our evolution, we went back into the sea, that we evolved, um, that we went back, well, let's say that we came out of the sea in the first place, everything did. But then, um, as land animals, there were uh, many changes that forced us back into the sea. We lost our hair there, and we became, uh, I think the, the, the joke is we... Uh, we're now hairy dolphins rather than naked apes. Uh, mm-hmm. I love this theory. The, um, uh, the theory says that about four to five million years ago, we took a little dip and we went back into the ocean because we were safe there or safer. Also, it was a tremendous source of food. There's a book by Elaine Morgan... It's usually dismissed as a fantasy. Uh, it's called The Descent of Woman. What was it? Ascent. No, Descent of Woman it was. She makes a, call it feminist argument uh, for the uh, evolution of our species. Um, yes, all those little babies hanging on to their mothers. That's why we have such long hair on our heads and no place, well, less hair in other places. All the subcutaneous fat. Anyway, it's Elaine Morgan's Descent of Woman. I read it on KPFAO 20 years ago. 
Most people thought it was nonsense. I always believed it. Uh, we seem to be so much more at home in the ocean. Um, I mean, we're so naked. I mean, it's just cold out here. Think about it. So many of our human qualities seem seaworthy. Uh, those of us who grew up on the seashore know all about that. Uh, Ah, oh, sea creatures who once lived on land. There are lots of them. Whales, for example, you know. All these land creatures that have had their, their, uh, uh, trips back to the sea and then crawled out again and then went right back. Even a few with feathers, um, lizards, all those sorts of Creatures going in and out of the ocean look hard at our bodies. Elaine Morgan makes a great deal of our, uh, well, let's just say our genitals, our bodily uh, functions, our organs, and think how much more we are adapted to uh, the sea. Lady, it's fashionable to give birth in the sea. In any case, enough nonsense. Next week, we have a day of marathon. And, uh, oh, that's the 4th of December. Terrific day. It's the day before my birthday. I must celebrate. I will bring my own books next week and try to use them to raise money for KPFA. I will also be selling my books and, uh, uh, Articles and good things like that at the KPFA Holiday Crafts Fair in San Francisco, December 8 and 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the biggie over on Brannan Street. I have four titles. I had hoped to have a little novel finished, but I'm still staring at it. There's something wrong with it. I think I may have told a fib in this book, but never mind. I haven't published it yet. Um, the books from the old days, uh, the, uh, old, old, old one is, a, let's see, there's prose collection from the 1970s called Over by the Caves, <laughs> a few attempts at surrealism and lots about the sea, La Jolla, right? My favorite, let's see, the one about, uh, the one about the sea creatures that wash up on our shores. <laughs> Then there's my movie book, probably my most, uh, what is that, uh, down-to-earth essays on film and television, movies, movies, movies. Maybe I'll read you a little tidbit of that. Yeah, that's what I'll do. There's a, a collection of uh, selected essays. I just took a 10-year period in my life and picked what I thought were the best essays. Unfortunately, they're such disparate subjects that it confuses people. I said, how could you possibly put Gertrude Stein in the same collection with uh, the Brontes? Oh, that's easy enough. Anyway, that book won um, the Before Columbus American Book Award. So that's my most appreciated book. Selected essays, Stone's Throw. Then there's a memoir, uh autobiographical piece called Telegraph Avenue Then. 
back when, who we were and why we didn't. <laughs> anyway, I won't read you my uh, reviews. That's just too self-aggrandizing. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. Here is one line. Yes, so down to earth you have to take your shoes off to read her. Now that, that is a compliment. First review I ever got, I was 17. I was in a play called Chicken Every Sunday. And the Hollywood reporter said that I, I did a touching cameo. I thought maybe it would be fun to have a tombstone that says, a touching cameo. Right. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm waxing modern. Let's see. Let's look at one of Jennifer's essays in Mind Over Media. Now, back in the day, I actually had people ask me, well, what does that mean, Mind Over Media? I said, well, <laughs> I guess it's it's too late to figure it out, Mind Over Media. Yes, uh, I worked hard on this book. I don't know why. I really thought that perhaps we were transitioning and that our young people got more history, sociology, poetry from the movies uh, than they had been get, than that they get from today's books. I don't mean that we shouldn't always give our first, our largest measure of devotion to fiction, to novels, to literature. It's the history of love, of course. But the movies, yes, the movies seem to be taking a larger and larger share of the, uh, what is it, the emotional work. Lately, I, I'm i astonished at the number of films and uh, basically television series, um, some of the pieces on HBO that I, I find really obsess me. Uh, I watched Rome, 23 hours of Rome again the other day and uh, unfortunately there's so many bad imitations it's so sad but that's okay uh, people will go back and discover the great ones uh, was it six years of six feet under some of the funnier ones things like weeds and shameless really knockout stuff on HBO it's the new American theater I I swear, uh, if we'd had films and uh, play stories like that when I was growing up, I shudder to think. <laughs> okay, I'll give you five minutes, let's see, of Jennifer. Mind over media, here is an essay. It's called Notes of a Renaissant Romantic. This is an introduction to my uh my movie addictions, yes. It says, wherein the reader is introduced to the history and nature of this critic's cinematic addiction and certain of its consequences and sequela. <laughs> My mother almost never went to the movies. When she did, she mostly sat in the lobby, smoked cigarettes. There was only one movie theater in La Jolla in those days. 1940s. And there was a, uh, uh, well, 
there was no smoking section, so mother had to sit uh, in the lobby or uh, go outside. While Melanie had her baby and Atlanta burned, my mother was having a camel. During the scene when Dr. Mead cuts off a soldier's wounded leg and Scarlett O'Hara can't stand the screaming, I fled to the lobby for comfort. Uh, the sweet old woman who sold the tickets told me my mother was waiting for me in the little bar around the corner. It was then I made my decision. I wanted the movies more than my mother. Now, my mother was born in 1902, which made her a year younger than Zelda Fitzgerald. She tried to make up for that by living a little faster. For her, movies were a waste of life. For me, they were a mystery religion. By the time I was seven, I was already a terminal romantic. Now, that was 1940. I was a... Celtic fundamentalist looking for something to worship like any primitive. I began with trees and toads, the chthonic gods. With druid determination, I set up my own altars, made blood sacrifices to stone birds in backyard shrines. I poured libations on the graves of dead pets. I used a soda pop called Delaware Punch. My exposure to modern Christianity was nil. Ecstasy came in ancient ways. I was a pure pagan. I thought art and religion were the same thing. Thus it was in the picture palace that I had my first stained glass experience. My Saturday afternoon pilgrimage to the dark cavernous theater was my rite of passage into the dream. There in the sacred grotto, the mysteries of the great goddess were revealed to me in Cecil B. DeMille's Cleopatra, 1934. Right. <laughs> now, that's a really old picture, but I'm, I'm footnoting here, but you can still find it on cable television, Cecil B. DeMille's Cleopatra. <laughs> I had no idea that the sophisticated uh, French soubrette Claudette Colbert was as wrong for the part as Elizabeth Taylor, Hollywood's Jewish mother. To me, she was a revelation with her world-weary sighs and the sad, motherly ache with which she first took Anthony into her arms. Another footnote here. The music, the drums in that scene are positively... Oh, well, I have to, on KPFA, say... Uh, well, let's say orgasmic, erotic. Uh, uh, back to my essay. Here was a woman who made love in public. Proof absolute that queens weren't necessarily Victorian and that power and sexuality had once belonged to the great 
archaic women. Yes, Eros, no shame. Okay, this essay goes on to talk about all the other female archetypes. Kali, Lilith. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> remember the movie The Sign of the Cross? And remember 1 million B.C., the first one, not Raquel Welch, the one with Carol Landis. Next week, I may have time to read you some more of this essay. It's a lot of fun, actually, about... Uh, how I was educated by the movies I saw here in these United States. Till next week, this has been Jennifer Stone. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. us for a great holiday shopping experience at the KPFA Crafts Fair, Saturday and Sunday, December 8th and 9th from 10 to 6 at the Concourse at 8th and Brannon in San Francisco, where you can find the unique handcrafted artwork of 200 artisans and craftspeople, along with delicious food and live music each afternoon. It's KPFA's largest off-air fundraiser, $10 for adults, $8 for persons 65 and over, and persons with disabilities, and free for kids 17 and under. Go to the website for more information, kpfa.org forward slash crafts fair. To volunteer at the fair, please call 510-848-6767, extension 629, or email volunteer at kpfa.org.